0: hey what's up chris tucker hey do you ever think about our humanity and mother earth and how it may just be older than what we think it is older the berries, sweeter the juice yeah for sure man but uh but i think it's blacker the berry sweeter the juice yeah well yeah she blacker than a motherfucker too to everything allegedly my name is sean allegedly (laughs) actually you don't know if my real name is sean that could just be my uh my stage name i guess maybe only the fbi agent assigned to this show knows if that's really my name No, but that is my name, and I uh, I take this too seriously. I'm sure that agent is busy with a lot of other shows, too. (laughs) So anyway, yes, my name is Sean. It really is, and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm in kind of a weird mood today. Well, uh, as you know, I am a Connecticut resident, and I woke up this morning to find out that while i was sleeping soundly in my bed why the senate was meeting the state senate was meeting overnight to strip even more of our rights yes there's something called hb six 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 seven that's right it starts with six 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 and it is a bill that essentially uh bans all modern sporting rifles In Connecticut, so they call them assault weapons, but what they are is modern sporting rifles, and the reason this bill is so bad is because they call it the um, bill to address gun violence or something like that, but it doesn't do anything of the sort. In fact, the way you can tell it doesn't do anything like that is all you had to do was look at the first Proposed amendment of this bill I stayed up kind of late Watching the uh, Senate proceedings For this bill But I didn't stay up all night I think they finished at like Five in the morning or something So I don't know how they're able to do that I don't know why they're able to meet Overnight To uh, discuss and vote on these things But that's what they do So anyway, I was awake for a couple of the amendments The first one, A Amendment A basically said that they wanted to add uh, a part of this bill that would make the punishment for illegal gun crimes a little bit harsher and that they would remove something called the clean slate from illegal gun uh, criminals. And so they immediately shot that down. (laughs) And that's unfortunate because... What that says is that this bill really isn't about gun safety. And it's not about punishing those who commit gun crimes um, or use illegal guns. No, it's really just about punishing those who use legal guns or own legal guns. And it's unfortunate. And what they say is that if you already own these things, I own a couple of them. And uh, you'll they'll be grandfathered in or whatnot. But it also changes the classification of these things and classifies them as an assault weapon and puts you on a list. So presumably someday when the U.N. rolls in, they'll know exactly which houses to go to to confiscate them. So anyway, kind of a weird mood because of that. And that's kind of what's been taking my attention. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. I just figured I'd fill you in on that. I'm sure... Our stalwart governor, Ned Lamont, will be signing it on Monday or something like that. So maybe I'll give you another little episode. I know we have a lot of Connecticut listeners, and if you're at all interested in guns, you probably already know about this topic. But anyway, that is what's going on. And despite that, despite my mood regarding them stripping even more of a law-abiding citizens' rights, I'm actually feeling very well. Because last time, last time at the beginning of the podcast, I scolded you and I said, oh, the banking episode is not doing well. But I am happy to report that we are back in the money, baby. And the podcast is doing great. I may have spoken a bit too soon because not only is the uh, banking episode uh, doing pretty well now, Um, I actually got some positive feedback about it. Some of you reached out with uh, kind words about that episode. So I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you listening to all of them. And in fact, the vaccine episode is breaking all the records. And it's uh, breaking all the previous records by a lot. So I really appreciate that. It seems like a lot of you are sharing it. Definitely interested in the topic, which is good for me. Because I'm interested in the medical topics and we're probably going to be talking about a lot of them. So thank you so much for sharing the episode and for reviewing the podcast and all of the stuff that you do to help uh, make us great and to grow the show. And I have a request this time and that is to follow the show on the social medias. We have a few. I know I'm pretty bad with the social medias, but we have a couple of them. And Minds, the social network Minds, is where uh, the show is the most active. That's where the uh, the most content gets posted. And so, if you're not on Minds, I would recommend that you join Minds. It is a really nice uh, alternative to Twitter. It's not like uh, Truth or parlor, It's not real um i guess politics oriented it doesn't feel real partisan in that way and there's a lot of really good engagement so if you're not on minds get a minds account uh you won't regret it and if you're on there go ahead and follow us there's two uh accounts conspiracy guide and everything allegedly because you can't change your handle on mine. So primarily the posts are on the conspiracy guide page still, but I'll post both of them in the show notes. Also we have an Instagram. So there's an Instagram page. It's, uh, everything allegedly also. So if you're on Instagram and everyone is go ahead and follow the show on Instagram, we're just getting that one up and running and, um, happy, to be on there and then twitter eh, blah 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 twitter it's whatever uh the show is on twitter but the way i have to access my twitter account is with a burner tablet it's just one that i bought on amazon that i didn't already have a uh <laughs> a history um presence uh, on that ip address so i have to access twitter on this this dumb burner tablet that i bought so uh, so, I don't get on there very often. And I mostly just use it to read the news because, hey, that's still where all the news breaks. But you can follow us there. We are at everything a leg uh, because there is a certain character limit over there. So, follow us on Twitter at everything a leg on there sometimes. But the reason I'm asking you to follow and the reason I'm going to post all of these in the show notes is because the topic we are talking about today has a lot of visual to go with it. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure I will be posting a lot of these pictures, a lot of these videos, and they're really interesting. If you're interested at all in this topic, give us a follow so that uh, you can see some of the things we're going to discuss today. And so what are we going to discuss today? Well, we've had some heavy topics. We talked about banking. We talked about vaccines. Both of those things are pretty heavy. So we're just going to talk about today how everything you thought about history is a lie. <laughs> Isn't that nice? We're going to keep it light. <laughs> but seriously, uh, some forms of this topic do suggest that very thing. We're going to be talking about Tartaria. Tartaria is the kind of broad term that is given for Um, I will call it a grouping of unexplained historical examinations. And essentially, uh, when you see Tartaria uh, in a post, if you follow other alt-media content, what that post is referring to is this idea that our history has been tampered with. Tartaria, uh, in a broad sense, doesn't necessarily mean that there's one unified theory. It's kind of transcended that. And now it just means that any kind of alternative theory uh, from what we are generally exposed to uh, falls into this Tartaria category. And so let's kind of take a look at what is the the general knowledge of history that that we have? Well, me, I went through uh, the great public schools of California. So when I took world history, it went something <laughs> something like this. Uh, there was a big bang, and uh, at that moment, everything uh, spontaneously combusted out of nothing at all. So there you go. That makes perfect sense, right? And then there were dinosaurs. You know, there was a bunch of uh, lizards roaming the earth uh, at one time when before humans were here. Hey, now there's lizards roaming the earth with us, <laughs> and they mostly find themselves in Congress <laughs> and banking <laughs> and, uh, and 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 <laughs> jobs like that. Anyway, uh, and then we go from dinosaurs to cavemen. Uh, you know they uh, carried clubs around and lived in caves and and whatnot. These were after the dinosaurs, of course. And then there was Egypt, yeah, you know, four six thousand years ago or whatever. I guess society and humanity just spontaneously combusted into an agricultural society, and uh, the Egyptians made these giant tombs called pyramids, and they use slaves to do it, even though there's absolutely no proof that either of those premises are right. Well, that's what they teach us, because let's not get in the way of (laughs) a good story. And then there were the Romans. The Romans are a cautionary tale, right, of a giant empire that spanned huge swaths of land and their excesses of Of conquest and empire eventually led to their downfall and, um, (laughs) and we're living through the next one now. (laughs) And then, uh, and then Columbus sailed across the ocean and, uh, he found (laughs) America for the first time. And then we lived happily ever after, right? (laughs) That is kind of how the world history uh, that's the broadest of overviews, but you know what I mean. If you went th- through the public schools, that's what you got to, and um, that curriculum it didn't just spontaneously combust or uh, spontaneously burst into existence either. That is like so many things of our present day that came from the uh, from the Rockefellers. They basically set up the school system that we have, and they set up the system of ringing bells to go to your next class and everything to prepare you for shift work and they really wanted to kind of dumb down the curriculum and really just turn you into employees because that's what the rockefellers needed <laughs> they needed employees they didn't want a bunch of smart people they they want people running the machines <laughs> so anyway that's what we got and that's kind of how you know, that's the the broadest overview of the history of Earth. But what if it's different from that? What if that's not how it is? And it's entirely possible that that's the case. It's definitely possible that the way we know it is not accurate, because just think about how much you know about even your ancestors. When I was considering this episode and and mulling it over and Pondering it, I was I was thinking about my great grandmother, my great grandmother Mamie, and how much different her life was from mine. She was born in uh, 1912, I believe, and the world looked a lot different in 1912 than it was today. And then I thought, what was it like for her great grandmother, whom I know almost nothing about? We are so disconnected from even the people who are only a couple of generations away from us that it's almost mind-blowing. I don't know anything about Mamie's great-grandmother. Just five generations ago from me. And what about Mamie's great-grandmother's great-grandmother? Nothing at all. I don't know who that person was. I don't know their name. I don't know what their life was like. So I go just a handful of generations back from my own, and I know basically nothing about it other than the kind of broad overviews that I read about in the history books. So that should give you some idea of how we're kind of living in this present-day bubble that is really hard to imagine what our ancestors and what people of previous eras were experiencing what their life looked like, and just what kind of world that they lived in. And so when we talk about this topic of Tartaria, which I mentioned is just a kind of historical re-examination, I think we can see that it's pretty easy to know that our perceptions of the past maybe don't reflect an accurate history. And so we should examine that. We should look at our history in the most critical way possible. Because as we are seeing right now in present day, there's kind of a lot of holes in the story. I don't know if you saw the Netflix episode, uh, I'm sorry, the Netflix series uh, that Graham Hancock produced, but it's very interesting. And it shows that, well, at the very least, archaeology is getting a lot of things wrong. Now, he proposes some uh, alternative timelines, and he proposes some uh, new theories regarding these uh, structures that are found all over the world, and they may not be right. But what he does show is that the, I guess, orthodox knowledge of archaeology and history, well, there's some holes in the stories. And there's at least a reason to examine those things more critically. I would definitely recommend that you check out that show. And if you're really interested, check out Graham Hancock's books. Uh, I've read most of them. They are really interesting. And if you are at all interested in ancient history and what is possibly an alternative timeline, really check those out. So in his book, Fingerprints of the Gods. He really lays out this theory of an alternative timeline, and he presents a theory of a cataclysm that may have happened on the Earth that kind of reset humanity as we know it. And we see that theme come through a lot in the Tartaria topics, that there was resets of our humanity in our history. And it's really interesting to think about. I like to think about it from the population numbers standpoint. Now, if you think about the population on earth today, uh, what do they tell us? Eight uh, billion people or something like that on earth. And you look at how that population has increased in just the very kind of recent history, the last couple of hundred years, it's really gone exponential. Exponential. It's like fractal in the way that humans reproduce. And so the timeline of just the numbers doesn't really add up. And so it would seem if modern humans, uh, at least according to the archaeological record that is presented to us from the official sources, humans as we are today have probably existed for conservatively 100,000 years, probably more like a couple of hundred thousand years. And so our population, as big as it is today, should probably be a lot bigger unless there were resets to the population. And so if you just go uh, linear from a couple of hundred thousand years ago and you compare that to the population growth of today— Well, we should probably have hundreds of billions of people here on the earth, but we don't. So were there interruptions in our history? Were there interruptions in our population growth? Were there periods where the population was severely reduced? I think maybe there were. We don't just have to look at humans. There are some fascinating experiments that are done on mice and rats. These are called the uh, mousetopia experiments, or they're colloquially uh, referred to as the mousetopia experiments, and I will actually post some information about this, because right now I'm blanking, of course, on the scientist's name who performed these studies, but in short, these studies were uh, done on mice and rats, and what they did was they started with a small population of mice or rats, and they made a utopia for these mice and rats They didn't have to uh, work or hunt for food Everything was uh, supplied for them They had as much food and water as they needed And, um, you know, the right temperatures And everything was set for them But it was in a finite amount of space And so what happened with these rat populations Or these mice populations would They would increase to a certain level And then all of the mice and rats would Basically go crazy and then there would be a collapse of that mouse or rat society. And they found that once the um, populations increased to a certain critical level, they found some really strange behaviors in these mice and rats. And some of those included things like homosexuality, the um, female mice and rats not wanting to mate With the males, the females would uh, constantly groom themselves all day. They called them the beautiful ones because they wouldn't interact with society. They found really self-destructive behavior in the male mice and rats. And so it's a really strange experiment that although it's in mice and rats, it might just kind of give us a little clue into what happens when our population gets very large. Now, I don't know if it's telling. I don't know if this is something that has happened in the past. And I don't know if the population resets that I uh, theorize have happened are the result of a psychological change like that. Or maybe they were more of a uh, cosmic or cataclysmic kind like the ones that um, Graham Hancock uh, proposes. Because he does propose that like 11,000 years ago, I believe it's 11,000 years ago, the population had an almost complete collapse and has built back up from that point. And so like I mentioned with the kind of issues with the population number today, I think his number does kind of add up um, in a way that's much more accurate. If we start from 11,000 years ago, we can get to the um, 8 billion that they tell us we have today. Also, he's been proven right in a lot of his uh, in a lot of his theories, especially those where Göbekli Tepe is concerned. This is a a site in Turkey which is now at least believed by the mainstream to be way older than um they initially thought modern humans um were were gathering in civilizations. I think some of the dating on these sites is uh, at Gobekli Tepe is as old as twenty five thousand years. Now, when you consider that uh, and compare it to something like the um, the uh, the pyramids or or the Egyptians, they say that's only a couple of thousand years ago, and that's where it really all uh, began in the Fertile Crescent. So it really throws a wrench into the timeline, and that's why I think this topic of Tataria does deserve a lot of attention. And so what is Tartaria? Why do I keep saying that word when I'm referring to this alternative take of history? Well, Tartaria, according to the kind of alt media, was a vast empire, a civilization, and it would occupy what is now Afghanistan and Kazakhstan and Mongolia, parts of Russia and China. And when the Tartaria... Um, I should say researchers look into this topic. They're looking at maps from the 16, 17, 1800s, and they see this big swath of land labeled Tartaria. Now we do still have these, these um, words. We have tartar sauce. I was just at the garden store the other day, and I saw a, a tree called uh, Tartarian cherry, Tartarian black Cherry, So we know that this this place and this people did exist, but the skeptics say that that area was just all nomadic people, there was no real civilization there, and that it was simply uh, labeled Tartaria in a way to explain that they don't really know what's there. I heard somebody discuss this topic and say that um, Tartar was actually a slur. And it was used to, uh, by I guess the West, to uh, label all the people in that area as savages. So that's one take on it. But another take is that maybe there was a civilization there. Maybe there was a civilization or even an empire that spanned that entire area. And the Tartaria uh, conspiracy theory is that that land uh, was essentially taken over by wars with people such as the Kazarians and they were sort of stamped out of history, I guess, except for the sauce and the cherries, they were stamped out of history. And so when people talk about these anomalies in history and they refer to them as Tartaria, they're talking about a deliberate, uh, misinformation or misinterpretation of our history so that we are uh, confused and so that we don't know why, um, uh, what our history is and why we're here. Now, why would somebody want to do that? Why would you corrupt our historical understandings? Well, it's probably because they are trying to usher us in or keep us in this world of scarcity. Now when you think about what do we do what is our purpose here in modern life well essentially it's to it's to produce it's to work and you know among other things obviously that's not the most important I, my most important roles are obviously that of you know caring for my family uh being in touch with uh, the spiritual world and you know my god and things like that but you can see how if you are say uh robber baron or one of the controllers you would want people to exist in this paradigm of scarcity so these are things like oil and electricity well we basically spend a long time uh right now at producing these things or paying for these things energy is a big deal but some of the uh tartaria proponents like to talk about uh, a, a plentiful world that existed during this, uh, Tartarian empire. And as the, uh, as the theory goes, the Tartary, uh, Tartarian empire had electricity that they could just pull out of the air. And this reminds me of the Nikola Tesla experiments where, uh, Well, I shouldn't say experiments because I know he has the Tesla coil and whatnot, but there's actually, uh, I believe in some of his writings, he was saying that um, you can just pull electricity out of the atmosphere totally free. And so a lot of the buildings that are claimed to have exist in this Tartarian empire have these domes and points on the structures, which look similar to what people have proposed as these free energy devices and we'll get into a little bit more of this free energy here in a minute but that is what where the theory comes from free energy abundance and people not being a slave to the system now if you are wanting to enslave humanity you would certainly want to get rid of the idea that people can live in abundance without being slaves to the system right So that's where the conspiracy theory comes from. The conspiracy theory is that civilization was stamped out so that our lot in life would be to produce, to work, and to really serve those in charge because of the things that we need which aren't readily available. And so the Rockefellers, (laughs) with their oil, and the, uh, I guess, power companies well, we really worked to pay for that kind of stuff. And now we increasingly work to pay for the banks who lend us money, which is just kind of an idea that exists. It's not really a physical thing. So anyway, it's an interesting idea, and I certainly like it. Now, let's get back to these buildings, because one of the things that is part of this Tartaria topic is buildings. It's a big part of it, and for a couple of reasons. The buildings from the Tartarian Empire are said to be all across the world. And there are some curious cases of this. You can look at some buildings all over the world. Some of these buildings are uh, like in the east in China and some of the southeast uh, Chinese, or I'm sorry, southeast Asian countries. And uh, some of them are obviously in the north, uh, Russia and areas like this. Some of them are curiously in the kind of Middle East and the South and all over the place, even places like America. Some of them are in uh, areas like Salt Lake City and San Francisco. And these buildings look curiously similar. And what the skeptics will say is that these popular architecture styles were just popular all over the world. And so they were building buildings in this era in a similar style, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, maybe that's the case. But I think if you look at these pictures, you'll kind of see that they're out of place. And so as stratified and as separated as these different cultures are today, you would imagine that that was also the case previously. And so were they exporting these um, architectural ideas all over the world in some global network of architecture? Maybe, but it kind of seems unlikely in the world that we experience today. It is a little bit curious. You'll also find that a lot of these structures exist in places that experienced massive fires or wars, or these buildings may have just survived some kind of local disaster. San Francisco has a lot of uh, such examples. And the timeline for places like San Francisco and Salt Lake City and some of these other places where the Tartarian buildings are said to exist is because these buildings would have been built during a very curious time. We're told that the 1800s, the early 1800s, is basically when the westward expansion happened and that there were covered wagons that were sent out west. And yet, somehow, there are these beautiful, classical stone structures, these gorgeous buildings that were built at the same time. Now, we see these kind of ghost town images of the Cowboy West with their simple wooden buildings, but curiously, the timeline shows that these grand and ornate stone structures these beautiful stone buildings were also built at the same time so i guess we're led to believe that the cowboys built these glorious and beautiful buildings i don't know it is a uh, it's a curious timeline some people also point to the lack of construction photos in these buildings and it's true there is a lack of construction photos in a lot of these buildings but Maybe they just didn't think that taking pictures of them was a good idea because we do have cell phones. We take pictures of everything now. But taking a picture was kind of a harder thing to do um, in the, the mid-1800s. So maybe they weren't taking construction photos. But I think if you're building structures these grand, this grand, this amazing, well, you'd probably want to take pictures of that unprecedented construction in that area. Now, I'm going to be posting a pictures of a lot of these because I know listening to this, you're probably like, well, what do these, these buildings really look like? And I'll post pictures of them so you can take a look. But the simple truth is a lot of these buildings aren't really around anymore. There is a lot of photos and historic record of these buildings, but they've all been, I shouldn't say they've all, many of them have been curiously torn down. The reason they're given much of the time for tearing them down, is because these buildings were outdated. They weren't able to update them into modern systems of electricity and mechanical systems like heating and air conditioning. And so they were uh, torn down and replaced with new structures. Okay, I guess that's true. But I worked in New York City construction, There's a lot of old buildings there and most of the time it is easier to retrofit these buildings, keep them and update them for modern systems. That's not always the case, but certainly if you have a beautiful landmark structure, it would make sense to try to preserve it. So maybe these buildings were just taken down um to to modernize but it is very curious now speaking of buildings being taken down another aspect of tartaria which i think is the most interesting is the world's fairs i really really love this topic of the world's fairs and you might be thinking why would world's fairs be important to this subject of tartaria well, you may have heard of the World's Fairs. In fact, if you're in the uh, New York City metropolitan or suburb areas, you might have even seen some of the relics of this in the Flushing Meadows complex. These are those spaceship-looking things you can see off of the freeway there in um, in Flushing, in, uh, in um, Queens there. So... Yeah, these, uh, these are from, I believe that was the 1962 World's Fair, which was there in New York City, and they built these really awesome structures for it. But that wasn't where the World's Fairs started. These things kind of go back 100 years from that point. And in the mid-1800s, they had these World's Fairs. They had them in places like, uh, like Paris, and uh, right around the turn of the century, uh, one in Chicago, and these world's fairs, the, the older ones, are really curious because the point of them was to, was to showcase history. That was the point of these world's fairs, was to bring people together at these massive fair complexes so that they could see the world history, so that they could see what we now learn, I guess, in the Rockefeller schools. And they're not just curious for that reason— These World's Fairs were massive. They were huge. I will post some pictures of them, but these were grand, beautiful buildings. And some of them had vast water fountains and networks of uh, ponds and lakes that were all built by humans. These were these amazing structures. And curiously, they were all built like within a year. These things were all put up Uh, Essentially for these fairs Or at least that's the story And then they were all demolished Right afterwards, with a few exceptions Uh, Some in San Diego, obviously the ones I mentioned in uh, New York City And there are a few bits and pieces of them Still around, but for the most part They were all destroyed Either right after the fair Intentionally by demolition Or they curiously burned down Now The Tataria conspiracy theories say that these things were not built for these world's fairs, but that they hosted the world's fairs there. They told people that they were built for the purpose of the fair. And then that would be the pretext for tearing them down afterwards. And that these structures were actually relics of the Tartarian empire. And in an effort to get rid of them, um, unsuspiciously, they told people that they were built just a couple of years earlier so that they could demolish them and really get rid of any record of the Tatarian people. Or the Tartars, I guess, as they were called. So, was that the case? Maybe. Maybe. I don't really know. But they say these things were built out of, like, straw and plaster. But I'm going to post some pictures of these things. They don't look like they are made out of straw and plaster of Paris to me. These things look incredible. They don't look like anything we could even build today. And when I say we couldn't build them today, I'm sure we could build them in some way. But things have gotten just so expensive and ridiculous, it's just not feasible to build them today. I'm sure we could do it somehow. But when you look at these beautiful, ornate, and massive structures... You've got to wonder, did they build all these things in a year just to have one fair and then tear them down? Why wouldn't they build them a little better? Maybe have a annual and reoccurring fair. It doesn't make any sense that they would just build these things for one fair and tear them down. It's pretty weird. I got to admit, it's pretty weird. Now, if you look at some of these from Paris, there are some curious structures. In fact, specifically in the Paris World's Fair, there are some towers and what they appear to be are power generation towers. They look like they're um, similar to those spires on top of the Tatarian buildings. They look similar to those uh, described by Tesla. And these are What appear to be free energy devices And there are several of them That are shown in the maps And shown in the um, Depictions Of the Paris World's Fair So were they uh, Very early on Using these towers To generate power out of the atmosphere Because one of the uh, Paris World's Fair's uh, Big and uh, amazing uh, I should say exposition was that of the light bulb. So they were powering these things somehow. Were they powering the lights for these fairs with free energy from the atmosphere? Well, it certainly looks possible. And I really love this topic of the world's fairs. There's a lot more that we could go into on these fairs. Maybe I'll do an entire episode on the fairs because they are really curious. And what the, um, What the Tartarian conspiracy theorists say about the uh, World's Fairs is that they were a reprogramming. You were brought there. It was a pilgrimage to show you what the actual history of the world was and to kind of root out anyone with the old ideas of what our history looked like. Now, how could they really do that? Could, uh, Could they, could the robber barons, could those lizard people who meant to enslave us, could they actually change our per- our, um, uh, our perceptions of history with just showing us a couple of these fairs? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Because there's a couple of other really curious things that coincide with these world's fairs. One of them is the orphan trains. You can look these up. This is part of the uh, non-conspiratorial, I guess, lexicon. And if you look up these trains, there were trains just filled with orphans, filled with children, and they are presumably being sent from the East Coast, from the New York area, into, I guess, what would be called the frontier at that time. And even the, the modern interpretation, the modern historians will admit that there was at least 200,000 children that were relocated from the East into this new frontier, into the, um, I guess, the, the, the Midwest and the West Coast. But why did they need to send those kids? They say it was to populate those parts of the country, but why would they send a bunch of kids? Why would they send orphans to populate this place? Did they send them because an orphan typically doesn't understand their own history? And so they could basically tell them whatever they wanted when they occupied these new er areas that may have had these Tartarian or buildings that were present there when they got there. And maybe they're not even Tartarian. Maybe that word isn't an accurate depiction, but were there buildings there Were there structures there already from a historic uh, civilization that preceded us? Because one thing is clear, um, (laughs) Columbus didn't discover the U.S. It was well known about before that, but that's the story that we're given. Um, It's absolutely preposterous to think that uh, modern humans— have uh, lived on this earth for hundred or hundreds of thousands of years, and they just had no idea that this land was here, that the Europeans, a fairly uh, short crossing of the Atlantic, at least by, uh, you know, the epochs of history and hundreds of thousands of years, they had to know it was here. So, were they here already? Were there structures in the Americas of a previous civilization that they sent children to to repopulate i'll post some some pictures in fact i already have posted a picture of the orphan trains so go look at that one and i will post more but yes these these orphan trains which are not even debated they're very curious why would they relocate orphans it's very strange but you would have to assume there were adults there already there were adults around so what would you do with the adults who maybe challenge the new history? What would you do with the, adu- the adults who said, hey, wait a second, I remember my history and that's not how it goes. Well, you might be able to just call them crazy. You might be able to say that these people are just nuts and that they should be locked up. So, curiously, around this same time, around the 1800s, the mid-1800s, we had asylums popping up everywhere. These things were everywhere, and they were massive, massive complexes and beautiful structures, too, by the way. Now, I live uh, pretty close to one of them. There's one in Newtown, Connecticut, And they've torn down part of it. They've repurposed part of it. But you can look at the historic photos of this uh, Newtown, uh, Connecticut asylum. I believe it was called Fairfield Asylum at the time. And it is huge. It's almost a city in and of itself. So why did they have all of these asylums at that time? Why were they building so many massive places to house crazy people? Is it because people were just going crazy at the time? Was there something happening that would make people go crazy? Well, I don't know. But I do know that you can look up some of the statements at the time, particularly that, um, that Newtown Hospital. Uh, something that they say in kind of the mission statement for that hospital at the time was they say that, quote, Minds have become deranged with strange fantasies and who have lost control over their thoughts and emotions. Why is that? What was going on? Well, they weren't taking modern pharmaceuticals. We know that makes you lose your mind. Maybe they were just believing things about their history that were deemed to be untrue. Maybe they were saying, hey, wait a second. These buildings were here before. You guys are lying. All that stuff from the world's fairs are not true. What are you guys doing? And maybe they said, you know what? Your mind has become deranged with strange fantasies. You need to be locked up. Maybe that's why there were trains of orphans who were coming in to repopulate these areas. I know. I know, all of this uh, stuff sounds pretty crazy, right? But you have to wonder why all of these things coincide. You have to wonder, why were they all happening at that time? Why were there trains of children being shipped around? Why were there World's Fairs uh, popping up everywhere to educate people on the history of the world? Why were there asylums, massive, massive complex of asylums, Were people just going crazy? Was it a mousetopia? Or were they believing an unapproved version of history? I don't know. Now, I must also mention there are some really interesting photos of what is referred to as the mud flood in uh, Tartaria. Or I should say, in the Tartarian um, idea set. And now the mud flood is this? Uh, it's this very interesting idea that a lot of these buildings were actually buried in mud and kind of added on to. There's a lot of these pictures that show um, excavations of buildings next to them, or they excavate the street, and what they find is these buildings go down a lot farther than um, what we may have thought was there, and they actually find doors and windows up to 20 feet underground. Why would that be? Why would there be doors and windows in a basement of a building? Could there have been a flood or a cataclysm which moved the earth higher in that area? That's why it's referred to as the mud flood, because they say that mud flooded in and eventually that became the ground level. And this is a, uh, a relic. This is evidence of a cataclysm that happened to reset the population. Now, I don't know. I don't know why there are doors and windows that far underground level. The uh, critics will say mud floods do happen, but they're small, and that uh, it, there's no way it could have covered a uh, vast area of the globe like this. But the flood myth does exist in almost every single, um, historical and religious culture. The flood myth is ubiquitous about around the world. So by, by that, uh, uh, by the ubiquity of the flood myth, we can say that there was floods probably. And, uh, we know that the earth warms and cools. So was there a flood was there a flood of water which liquefied the, uh, the earth and then just resettled it around these buildings, which have been there for many epochs in history, for many uh, years of our history? I don't know. But they're very curious to look at, and nobody seems to have a really good explanation for why they're there. They just say those are basements, and they just say those are basement windows, but they're really far they're really far under the earth. So I'll post some pictures of those because they're really cool to look at. And hopefully that will stimulate your imagination to kind of look into this one further. Because I think I've talked enough about this one, but I do want to mention something real quick. Tartaria does exist in uh, more than just the maps. It does exist on more than just these ancient maps, which I will post pictures to. Not even ancient, a couple hundred year old maps. But um, curiously, there is a document from the CIA from 1957, and it was uh, declassified, I think, in 1995. And this document specifically talks about trying to erase Tartaria from history. That's very weird, right? Why would the CIA want to do that? Well... If uh, from the context of 1957, and the way I've heard it explained by the critics of Tartaria is that they were trying to, uh, this was like a Russian thing, and that they were trying to, I guess, um, stamp out the communists. Now, I don't really know how that makes any sense, but that's what the critics say. I will also post a short video about that CIA document. So, at the very least, The CIA knows about Tartaria, so maybe you should too. Anyway, I hope you think this topic is um, interesting. I really like it, and this was just a really broad overview and a taste. We'll dig into some of these topics further because there is a lot there. There is a lot of our history that I think we misunderstand, and we can see that the... Orthodox, the approved, and the mainstream uh, narrative of our history is not correct. There are some holes in their stories. Uh, (laughs) Mistakes were made, you might say. So I think it's important that we do look into these things. We do examine them critically. And we do understand that, hey, maybe the things we do know about our history, maybe they're not exactly correct. Maybe we owe it to ourselves to look at our history a little more critically maybe there is free energy maybe we could exist in a free utopia where we don't spend our lives slaving away working for the federal reserve dollars to pay for the things which may be free anyway it certainly is a uh, certainly is a nice idea to consider and so that's where i want to end Because, like I said, we did have some heavy topics before. And so although this topic can be dark, it can also be quite inspiring. It can be nice to look at our humanity and think that maybe it is possible that we can live in a free society, free of the uh, slavery that keeps us uh, producing things that may be free intrinsically to our Earth That maybe there was a greater civilization that um, existed on this planet in a way that was uh, more utopic, more free, and um, uh, I guess I'll say utilitarian. And so, is that the case? Does that exist within our humanity? Is it possible for us to achieve it now? It's a nice idea. And I would like to leave you with a couple of quotes. First, from a river runs through it, Quote, eventually all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by waters. Hmm. And then last, (laughs) last quote, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. And that was Rafiki from the Lion King. And I think he's absolutely right about that. So let's learn from it. All right, that's it. I'm going to leave you with a song, and uh, it's a little bit out of character, but this is a song that I really used to love when I was younger, and it is a cover of Modern English, uh, Melt With You. And when I was thinking about this topic, I thought, huh, I'll stop the world and melt with you. I'll reset the world and mud flood with you. But anyway, here is the good riddance cover of Melt With You. See you next time.